0: Very good morning, too. It is 16 minutes past eight. This is Money Talk with James Ross. I'm pleased to welcome to the show our guest for a Friday morning, Andrew Ferris, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Uh, Good morning, Andrew.
1: Mm
2: Good
0: morning, James. And let's also say good morning to Gary Young, uh, senior economist for APAC thematic research at Natixis. Uh, good morning, Gary. Good morning, everyone. Uh, nice to have you both uh, on the show. Well, I guess the markets uh, got off to a slightly poor start in the US. What, what do you make so far of the first few days of uh, 2024, Gary?
1: Well, I think if you look at how the market behaves, of course, uh, the general global sentiment seems to be retreat slightly from the expectation that the Fed would uh, cut rate aggressively as pricing last year. But of course, uh, how far can it go? Because if you look at the uh, market pricing of, you know, around a rate cut as early as March, which is actually not quite feasible if you look at it from the real terms, then, of course, there will be some retreat of the uh, pricing. So I think it's something that is uh, normal in my sense that some investors are trying to, you know, take profit from the peer's expectation. And it still depends on when the Fed will actually indicate uh, when is the exact rate, hike, uh, sorry, rate cut path in the future.
0: Andrew, do you, do you see investors getting out of the market in the, in the first few days? Is, uh, is there a, a little bit of pessimism about that, do you think?
2: Well, there, is a, there should be quite a substantial amount of pessimism. I'm telling my investors to do the following. Don't try to guess the Fed in terms of when or if they're going to cut interest rates. It's a useless exercise. Zero value added. My advice is unbelievably crude and simple. Start buying the American market only when the Fed actually cuts. Yeah, it's going to be late by that time, but I think it is much better to be late and correct uh, than be early and wrong. So, Very simple.
0: So just wait for the time being, I guess is what you're saying. Uh, and Absolutely. Not,
2: yeah, mm-hmm. not try to outguess the Fed. Okay, it's, uh, we have been doing this for the whole year and it's failed miserably. Okay, so forget about it. Get on, get on with something else. <laughs> uh,
0: big tech stocks particularly at the moment seem to be down, certainly overnight, uh, you know, three, or, three or four of them. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, not only that, but uh, if, uh, if you call the, the press about articles concerning artificial intelligence, oh boy have the markets or correction, have the views about that this is going to change our lives forever, change pretty dramatically. It boils down basically now that it is useful that is not
1: not half as much useful as you thought it would be. It would be. Gary, do you think that uh, uh, AI is going to drive a, a tech upturn, do you think? Well, I think it is indeed a very hot concept as we see from last year. It probably will still continue this year. But I think the question I have here is that after investors have priced in so much expectation of the future, whether the corporate profit can actually catch up in terms of the valuation level. Um, because I think investors cannot keep on, you know, uh, uh, basically pricing in further growth if there's uh, none, right? Especially if it uh, falls short of expectation. So I think there is indeed a bit of risk in terms of investors reassessing, you know, how is the potential of this industry, even though there is clearly some. So I think this would be my biggest worry related to this sector. But having said that, I think generally speaking, there will still be some growth potential in the long run. And, And how do you think that could
0: affect our part of the world?
1: Well, I think if you look at, uh, what happened in the U.S., of course, if uh, there is a good performance in tech and semiconductor for many markets in Asia, like Korea and Taiwan, of course it will be uh, quite positive. But what we have seen in the first few days of this year is that the negative sentiment in the U.S. has kind of spilled over towards Asia. This is why you see Korea or Taiwan or some of the other tech related uh, uh, index has performed quite poorly in the these few days. So I think this is definitely linked and then uh, there's nothing much that uh, Asia can do about it and then but I think the good news is that beyond this huge growth, growth potential that we have talked about for AI um, in Asia I think we're expecting a tech upturn uh, this year because of such a poor performance last year so at least that should help on export and the revenue of some tech related firms what's obviously not clearer is is the
0: future for the property market but particularly in China and uh, you know here in Hong Kong as well the government saying it won't sell any land development sites this quarter it's obviously pretty pessimistic mystic. Uh, Andrew, what do you think is the outlook for for property in China and you know in the in the coming weeks?
2: Let's take property in China and uh, um, here is where uh, James, my, my needle is stuck because I'm absolutely obsessed with the Chinese index of the forty cities forty cities, post zero cities index of new property transactions and prices. And take a deep breath, it has been falling Continuously, not falling, going from 10 to 9 to 8. It has been shrinking and minus in front of it for 20 months. Mm. The last one was in November. Okay, so in other words, this is an a remitting, unremitting decline coming up now for two years. If that doesn't tell you anything, most definitely poor little old Andre and Faris will not be able to add any value here. Again, okay, it looks bad. And in the case of Hong Kong, of course, here we go back again. High interest rates, when are they going to fall? When the Fed cuts, please. Can we please drop that out? Okay, we don't know when the Fed is going to cut. And that's going to be some form of, of, uh, let's say, uh, upward pressure in the case of Hong Kong. And, of course, we just announced the announcement of the government that it's not selling, neither residential nor uh, business-related land in the first quarter. That doesn't tell you anything well, the government definitely tells you. Let's not forget, nearly 40%, I think it's a little bit more than 40% of government revenues in Hong Kong that all come out of land sales. I mean, that's, 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 that's a big lump of money for the government to say, sorry, I can't raise anymore because I'm not going to raise the money.
0: Yeah, I guess it's just going to sit there and wait and uh, hope things uh, turn around. Certainly in China, it sounds pretty dismal at the moment, Gary. You know,
1: your thoughts on the property sector. You know, is, uh, is there any light at the end of the tunnel, Gary? Well, I think I share the same worries because if you look at uh, how much the government is trying to you know, change in terms of policy and how investors and uh, household and also corporate react, basically uh, people are quite insensitive to any policy change because they do not believe that things are changing. So for the market, basically it means that it's very hard to expect any huge rebound in home sales, property investment, and this could have a further spill over towards the banking sector and also fiscal Revenue, So I think this is indeed one of the biggest problems that China will face in 2024 and there's no quick fix um, um, uh, from uh, my view. So therefore it will continue to drag China's economic growth with probably further um, escalation of the risk uh, from the credit side. The investors will continue to be quite cautious uh, in this sector. I mean, obviously, Hong Kong saw the market down
0: uh, in 2024 over the year. Uh, Are we seeing any bright spots in Hong Kong aside from the property uh, sector? Are there any chances that um, tourism will improve or other sectors will will push our economy back up?
1: Well, indeed, if you look at uh, Hong Kong nowadays, indeed, uh, there are, uh, I mean, a lot of challenges as we see. And I just want to add one more point to the property sector, because if you uh, look at the land auction as uh, discussed, uh, like a few minutes ago because of this huge reliance, actually 40% of the land auction goes through, and which means 60% actually fail, which explain how the market is uh, pessimistic about the future of the property sector. And here is how we link this to the retail and the tourism sector because if we do not have this very uh, a strong wealth effect as in the past, um, domestic residents are not going to spend as much as um, before because even if you look at the equity market, it's also not performing uh, quite well, so therefore this will continue to drag certain, you know, uh, the, the rebound in consumption in Hong Kong, and also we can discuss about, you know, the outbound tourism and also the lack of the return of tourists, etc. So basically, things seems to be quite challenging. But again, I think one spotlight uh, next year, uh, this year is probably on export because of this uh, gradually improving global trade uh, environment. We should expect some recovery in the external trade sector. But for the rest, uh, it will still be challenging.
0: And switching to Japan for a moment uh, you know aside from the uh, the terrible earthquake and the and the terrible air crash um, there's been quite a lot of focus on uh, Japan being quite positive uh, I'm wondering Andrew if that's merely because people are focusing away from China and, and looking at Japan as another opportunity or is there some reality in Japan that uh, you know it, it is going to do big things in the next uh, 12 months
2: well I I'm, uh, I'm, I'm actually cautious pessimistic on uh, sorry is optimistic I do believe but I repeat optimistic in the case of Japan and I'm actually telling my clients to begin a, a very small accumulation on the equity side uh, for two basic reasons first the monetary policy of Japan however surreal might appear or however strange it might appear in the sense they are still stuck with negative interest rates and near zero and they are not letting go just yet it makes some kind of crazy sense because of their insistence of pursuing an increase in inflation. Aha, everybody else wants a decrease in inflation, Japan wants an increase in inflation, and the fact that inflation is already above the 2% level, it's about 3%, and they still are not uh, refusing to, to do anything in terms of beginning to increase interest rates, precisely because they don't trust that this inflation is going to be driven by increases in domestic spending, and particularly increases in wages. So I like the fact that they are maintaining their zero rates because they clearly know something that, not that we don't know, but but we don't particularly believe. That's one point. And uh, the second point is is that the overall performance in terms of GDP has been quite good. The last numbers we had for the third quarter was 1.2%, but not, not bad at all.
0: Gary, are you positive about uh, Japan, or
1: you know, or, or does their ultra caution worry you? Well, indeed, I think uh, we should always exercise some caution, but I think for the case of Japan, there is actually good reasons to be a bit more optimistic. Um, on the one hand, uh, I totally agree that even though uh, if the BOJ wants to adjust the monetary policy, is basically minimal compared to what the other central banks are doing uh, uh, globally. So uh, if we actually see wage start going up, basically it's a good sign of the uh, more structural shift and improvement in the economy, which is definitely good for Japan in the long run after the uh, few lost decades. And second, from the corporate point of view, I think one of the biggest difference compared to a few years ago is that Japanese firms have been much more willing to uh, reinvest their earnings and re- basically contribute it back to investment through a share buyback and also, uh, you know, uh, uh, basically giving out dividends rather than sitting on a pile of cash that would receive no interest. So this has massively increased the return on investment for Japanese firms, which is uh, for some is kind of in line with many Western firms already. So I think for these two reasons, uh, investors will continue to have a heavier weight on Japan versus other markets. Just before we leave you, uh, Andrew,
0: other sectors at the moment, I know you've been um, big in the past on uh, uh, climate-related
2: stocks. Uh, Are you still in the same zone? Well, climate-related and defence. On the climate-related side, let's say the results of the COP28 were not as bad as I thought it would be. And if they were pretty bad, then that would have boosted climate-related firms. But defence... Unfortunately, and it's a very cruel thing to say, it's getting better. I'm sorry, it sounds very cruel and stupid Mm. to say so, but that's the thing. These guys are selling arms, and actually, arms are selling really, really hot right
0: now. Yeah, I guess that's So I'm
2: still still bullish on on the defense sector, but it is a very tricky sector to sell because a lot of the uh, investment funds and a lot of the pension funds will not be seen. To be buying, to be buying gas in
0: inverted commas. Okay, so I'm aware of that. Andrew Ferris is uh, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Thanks, Andrew, and also thanks to Gary Ong, who is senior economist for APAC thematic research at Natixis. Well, still.